Welcome to Carving Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver, and we've got an exciting, I mean exciting show on tap for you guys tonight. So I've been doing my division-by-division division strengths and weaknesses, AFC, NFC, and only the two West divisions remain, the AFC West, NFC West. Well, give you a little double dip today because we're going to be doing both, not back-to-back, -back, space it out a little bit, AFC West strengths and weaknesses. So we got Chiefs, Chargers, Raiders, Broncos, uh, through those four teams in our second segment after I uh, talk about Mike Evans and the contender I think he's going to attract when it's all said and done. Also, the NFC West weaknesses at the very end of the show, we're going to do that to discuss all things uh, uh, 49ers, Seahawks, Rams, and Cardinals. And uh, i, I got to admit, for a, a few of those teams, I had str struggles finding a weakness, like Kansas City or San Francisco, and some I struggled to find a strength in regards to the Cardinals or you know even the even the Raiders to, to a certain extent. They, they, but they have strengths. It, it happens. Um, so listen, we got a lot to discuss, but... Also, by the way, Aaron Rodgers, Jets, uh, they're starting to turn into an NBA team that I that reminds me too much of this team, and I, I, I don't I don't want this to happen to them, especially I know a lot of Jets fans, I don't want this to happen to them, but I have a feeling it's going to after the, the more and more uh, uh, sort of uh, rhetoric coming out of the organization just seems to be trending in a direction that I don't think is trending towards uh, you know Super Bowl contention, dare I say. Also, this is why this is a big show. 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific time. So right smack dab in the middle of the show. And this will be the case for every Friday throughout the college football season. A new segment to Carving It Up Live, The Vol View. Everybody knows a big Tennessee Volunteers fan. Obviously, 2023 college football has already started. The first official opening weekend for college football kicks off tomorrow. Tennessee, one of those initial opening games uh, kicking off at noon Eastern and 11 Pacific time in the great city of Nashville against the Virginia Cavaliers. So very, very excited. Um, okay, Barry says my mic sounds funny. Let's, let's see what we got here. Let's see if my mic's dealing with any issues. Hang on. Does that work? Tell me if that sounds better, Barry. Tell me if that sounds better, because going through a little intro here, if the, if the mic sounds on, I appreciate you pointing this out. It had been, been terrible if I'd have been going for 45 minutes, and then my mic sounded you know, even worse. So let me know, Barry, in the comments. Barry Grant Jr., the host of the Olive Podcast, always looking out for, for all of us here at The Grid. So tell me, Barry, if this sounds any better. Uh, okay, great, great. Barry says much better. Thank you very much, Barry. You are the MVP of the show already three minutes in. And my mic sounds good, so I'm ready to go. So let's get into Mike Evans. So sometimes in life, you'll get an opportunity at something. And it'll go along the lines of one of my five favorite songs in the history of the world, Lose Yourself, by one of the greatest to ever do it, Marshall Mathers, Eminem. And he says, you only get one shot. Don't miss your chance to blow. You might miss this opportunity once in a lifetime. And that sometimes happens, but occasionally in life you'll get a mulligan. And I think the Dallas Cowboys might get a mulligan. So you know all, all offseason, and even dating back to last season, my biggest criticism of the Cowboys, not the Cowboys front office, not Jerry Jones, I'm talking about the Cowboys roster, was wide receiver. I had concerns about C.D. Lamb, like, okay, he's a clear number two. Can he really be a true number one in offense? Hey, that question was answered emphatically last season. He had a big-time year. They had double-digit touchdowns, well over 1,000 yards. CeeDee Lamb's that dude. Like, I don't have to worry about CeeDee Lamb. 
After that, there were some questions. Gallup coming off of an injury. You had freaking Noah Brown for a long time as your you know third wide receiver, as my man Preston Moore, who came on the show last week, was talking about, hey, Preston Moore is the fourth best receiver on the Houston Texans, and he was the third best receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. That told you how thin the receiving core was. But Cowboys added Brandon Cooks. Michael Gallup's a year healthier, so there's some more optimism in Dallas. I know there's some optimism about Jalen Tolbert. I got to see it to believe it with him, but we'll see if he pans out when it's all said and done. He's only in his second year. But I was clamoring and beating my hand on this table because, you know, I'm a Dak Prescott fan. Everybody knows that. Go get Dak a CeeDee Lamb's a number one. I'm talking about true, no doubt about it, no question, number one guy. And da-da-da-da, here's DeAndre Hopkins who eventually got released by the Arizona Cardinals, who are in full tank mode, and he's available on the open market, wants to play with a contender. And Dallas does not even make an effort, at least reportedly they didn't, to go get DeAndre Hopkins. Stephen Jones apparently said to the media, we're good with the way our receiving core looks right now. A move and a comment that I criticize constantly on this show. I'm like, okay, if, and, and this has always been my thing, like, if you're not quite sure if Dak is the guy, which at this point, if you're not sure, I, I, I have... Some serious questions, but let's just say you don't. Then be like Miami with Tua. Be like Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. Make darn certain. By the way, what Chicago's kind of doing with Justin Fields, make darn certain that he is or is not the guy. They missed out on DeAndre Hopkins, but all of a sudden, looky, looky here. So I just mentioned the Arizona Cardinals are kind of in tank mode. I think that's fair to say. I think we saw Jonathan Gannon on that, uh, whatever that was, speech. I don't even want to give it the distinguished... Uh, you know, quality of that. I don't even know if it was a speech to his team. It sounded more like a scene of the office. Point is, Cardinals are in tank mode. I don't know if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to tank, but they should. Baker Mayfield's their starting quarterback. Kyle Trask is their backup. This is a roster that, albeit with an old Tom Brady, wasn't the same Tom Brady, but it's still Tom Brady, and the Buccaneers would take him in a heartbeat over Trask and, and, and or Baker Mayfield. I mean today, 46 years old Tom Brady. Still looks good physically. Roster's getting older. Defense isn't quite as good. Offensive line is still terrible. They have no running game. And they play in a weak conference with a potential shore. You know, it's, the NFC has, has got a lot of playoff spots. They're going to be open to a lot of teams. Tampa's simply not good enough to be in one of them. They were 8-9 and nine last year with Tom Brady. They faced a Cowboys team that had all kinds of issues go, you know, coming out of that last game against Washington. And then Dak had probably the greatest game of his life. You know, passing for four touchdowns, running for a touchdown, almost a perfect passer rating, and almost a perfect QBR. The Cowboys' defense played great. Brady didn't, <clears throat> excuse me, have any time to throw. Brady was inaccurate. And you're telling me Tampa Bay is going to be better this year or in contention for, albeit a bad NFC South? No. They should be in tank mode. Mike Evans, according to numerous reports, uh, has set a deadline. Superstar wide receiver Mike Evans has set a September 9th deadline in contract talks with the Buccaneers. Now, for context, Mike Evans is is going to be a free agent wide receiver. So he's been on this long contract with Tampa Bay. He's been one of the more productive receivers in the National Football League. He's a free agent pretty soon. What benefit does Tampa Bay have to pay Mike Evans? Frankly, more importantly... What benefit does Mike Evans have in playing in Tampa? 
This is going to be his 10th year in the NFL, folks. He's had a 1,000-yard receiving year every single year, regardless of quarterback play. Yes, he had Tom Brady for those three years in Tampa. Actually, his career worst year, you could argue, was last year, at least, I guess, in terms of touchdowns. Only had six with Tom. Didn't take a whole lot of shots. Tampa Bay didn't. But with Jameis Winston, with some of the awful quarterbacks that helped the Bucs get Jameis Winston with the first pick in 2015, back in 2014, with all these quarterbacks, and, of course, Tom Brady, it, production didn't dip. He was still great. Still going for over 1,000 yards. Still in many seasons going for double-digit touchdowns. Still one of the most uh, you know, unguardable wide receivers in the NFL in terms of being a matchup nightmare from a physical standpoint. Kind of like a poor man's Calvin Johnson to a certain extent. And that's not a shot at Mike Evans because Calvin Johnson is one of the best ever. All of a sudden, September 9th deadline. Do you think Mike Evans wants to be a part of a rebuild in Tampa? He's like, I probably have a couple good years left. Either I could take the money in Tampa, which I'm not saying Mike Evans does or doesn't want to do. I haven't talked to him recently. Or he says, you know what? Let's go play for a contender. Don't agree to a deal. Trade deadline is this Halloween. There'll be a, a lot of contending teams that want Mike Evans. If the Bucs start 0-5, 0-6, which is well with, within the realm of possibility, given the fact that they will be the underdog in just about every game they play this year, or 1-5, you think Mike Evans is going to be happy-go-lucky? Yeah, let's, you know, let's just see what happens. It, no, 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 he wants to go play for a winner. He's played for a winner the last three years, and when you play for a winner, you want to stay playing for a winner, especially when before that you dealt with crap, especially at the quarterback position and overwhelmingly at head coach. All of a sudden, Jerry Jones has a mulligan. All of a sudden, and we talk about, and, and the example I would give to this is people talking about, well, what about Tyree Kill who went for five picks? What about Devontae Adams who had a similar package, although not quite as much as can't, what, can't, uh, sorry, what Miami gave up for Tyreek? How about Julio Jones? Multiple picks involved in that deal when the Falcons traded him to the Titans, but a second-round pick was involved. Jerry Jones has said over and over and over and over, he would do anything for a Super Bowl title. He would buy a Super Bowl title if he could. Well, Jera, here you go. The Cowboys aren't awesome in a lot of places. They're also not weak in a lot of places. And I would say outside of tight end, the weak link of the football team is the wide receiving core, even with CeeDee Lamb, great as he is. Brandon Cooks has had trouble staying healthy. Michael Gallup, can he bounce back? You know, second year removed from an injury, we'll, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt, but it's still within the realm of possibility that he's not all that great. Sure, they have Deuce Vaughn, Tony Pollard, but those are running backs. Sure, you can throw in the ball, but they're not going to be downfield receiving threats. We know Dak, historically, has been one of the best quarterbacks in football when taking shots down the field. You are, knock on wood, because God, uh, God only knows I hope this doesn't happen, you're a C.D. Lamb twisted ankle away from being, ugh, not great at wide receiver. If Brandon Cook's your one, Gallup's your two, I guess Jalen Tolbert or... Who's the kid? Uh, Kevontae Turpin is maybe your three. It's uh... Meanwhile, San Francisco has Ayuk and Debo and, don't laugh, Jawan Jennings and George Kittle and McCaffrey who they can throw the ball to and Philly has A.J. Brown and they have uh, uh, Devontae Smith and a great offensive line. If you want to contend in that NFC, you better have weapons. Mike Evans has been successful with every quarterback he's ever played with, even the bad ones. You're telling me he can't be successful with Dak Prescott? You're telling me that Mike Evans isn't worth a second-round pick, maybe a second and a fifth to Tampa? Tampa would love to have those picks. Tampa, I'm sure, is in the, the, the power position, the negotiating position of saying, hey, you're the one who wants Mike Evans. Maybe another team has a better package. 
We saw Jerry Jones outbid teams to go get a third-string quarterback. You're telling me he can't go outbid teams to go get a number one wide receiver? A tandem of Evans and C.D. Lamb? Might be the best in football. So my question to Jerry in the Cowboys front office is, why not? That was my question when they didn't go get DeAndre Hopkins. It's my question now. You are presented another opportunity. Given the fact that Tampa's in turmoil, they're in a rebuild. Mike Evans, I have a hard time again. He set a, a, a hard deadline of September 9th. That's a week from tomorrow. I have a hard time seeing Mike Evans you know, getting a deal with done with Tampa. That, to me, feels like the first stage of a trade request. And who's to say Dallas shouldn't go after Mike Evans? Yes, that's future assets, but hasn't Jerry and the Cowboys year after year after year saying, hey, this is our best shot at a championship? I have said, regardless if it's their best team, it's certainly their clearest path. Philadelphia lost both their coordinators and multiple players on defense. San Francisco loved Brock. I've, I've been in on Brock Purdy since he you know, made his first start with the 49ers. I really like the kid. Don't think he's a top 10 guy by any stretch, but I really like him. He's good enough with that roster to win a Super Bowl. And I love Kyle Shanahan. But injuries has been their bugaboo in recent years. You guys know I really buy in Detroit this year to be an NFC title team, but they've never done it before. They've never, you know, most of those guys have never even been to the playoffs, including their head coach. Seattle, like them, but I think there's some limitations on the roster. Why can't Dallas? And for that reason, why shouldn't they aim to get better, to add a guy of the caliber of Mike Evans? I saw that news. I'm like, uh, Jerry, you got a mulligan here. You got another opportunity. Only time will tell if he takes it. I know Stephen Jones said, hey, uh, this is, we're, we're taking this week by week and we like our receiving core. Okay, okay. You know, you got a 100-catch guy, 1,000-yard guy, double-digit touchdown guy who might just be on the trade market. You think a second-round pick, at least in the long run, is going to be more valuable to the Cowboys than now? Or compared to what Mike Evans can give you now? If you really want this to be the no-excuses season for Dak Prescott, you took a couple of steps in doing so. You fired Kellen Moore. You added Brandon Cooks. You drafted Deuce Vaughn. You, you re-signed Zach Martin. Why not make the move for Mike, Mike Evans? He's not going to be there long-term. He's not. Like, this isn't a situation where they sign Mike Evans. Because you got to realize, they got to pay. They just paid uh, Trayvon Diggs. They got to pay CeeDee Lamb. They have to pay Micah Parsons. They have to pay a number of guys. Eventually, they're probably going to have to pay Dak. He's got two years left of his contract. He'll be eligible for an extension after this season. I think he might already be eligible for an extension now. He'll definitely be after this year. And if the Cowboys go as far as Jerry hopes they can go, uh, <laughs> that $40 million contract that Dak's got now, $40 million for a year that he's got now, oh, it's going to be peanuts compared to what he's going to get after this if they go far in the playoffs. Why not go for it? That used to be Jerry's brand. Deion Sanders and... Charles Haley, two former 49ers who Jerry went out and made moves for and helped the Cowboys win some Super Bowl titles in the 1990s, the last time that they were truly relevant. I don't see why the Cowboys shouldn't go for this. Uh, by the way, I've talked to a lot of Cowboys recently. i got to admit, like it's, and they've been in the news a lot lately. This is, this is probably the first time all season that I've looked at and said, okay, like the, this is a segment where I'm going to incorporate the Cowboys, whereas opposed to like Trey Lance, the Cowboys are, are already involved, but I know I saw this, something. I, I don't know why they don't go after Mike Evans. I really don't. Listen, I, I, I'm a Steelers fan, but I, I think we're already set at wide receiver. I, I think Pittsburgh's wide receiving core is significantly better than Dallas's. No question. They got Pickens. 
You got DeAndre Johnson. You got Pat Fryermuth. You got Washington, the kid they drafted. Jalen Warren. He'll come out of the backfield. And, and uh, Najee Harris, improved offensive line. I think Kenny Pickett's going to have a good year, by the way. Let's see what we got. Uh, Barry says the idiot son is running things now. That's why they don't plunge. I mean, if that's the case, I don't know. You, you don't think Jerry wouldn't step? I mean, Jerry Jones is still Jerry Jones. You don't think J, uh, Jerry won't step in and do something? If if there's a situation in which they 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 you know they they contact the Cowboys and like, hey, let's see if we can make a deal. You don't think Jerry's gonna 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 take that call? Stephen may. I don't know if Stephen's running things or not. I have a hard time believing that. But if if he is, everything still runs through Jerry. The stuff. To, I mean, Jerry. By the way, Jerry made the Trey Lance deal. Steven didn't know about it. Mike McCarthy didn't know about it. Dak Prescott infamously didn't know about it. You think a Mike Evans trade <laughs> wouldn't go through Dallas or at least get to Jerry's ear before any type of negotiations happen? Yeah, Jerry would know. There's no doubt about it. And Barry says, look what's, what's going on with the Yankees. Idiot brain kids. There's the term right there, idiot brain. Idiot brain kids take over and all goes downhill. Sure, but that happened after, after George Steinbrenner passed away. Uh, that, that, that's when the, you know, the Steinbrenner kids are pretty much running in the organization on the ground. Loving every second of it, by the way. But, yeah, that, that's, do I think Steven's gonna be a terrible owner one day? Absolutely. And the crappy part is, he, like his father, will likely appoint himself as a general manager. And, listen, I've been critical of Jerry Jones' moves, but he's, he's made it, even in recent years, he's made a couple ones. I'm like, hey, nice job, Jerry. I don't know if, uh, Steven, although, look, in fairness to Steven, in fairness to Steven, Jerry was going to draft Johnny Manziel in 2014. And Steven stepped in, no, 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 no. No, let's, let's, take the, let's take the guard out of Notre Dame, Zach Martin. And Zach Martin's going to be a Hall of Famer. And Johnny Manziel, God bless him, was out of the league in two years. So, oh, I think I know what John Rivera's saying. He says, J-E-T-S. Is there a Jets, Jets, Jets down here? Yes, it is. Jets, Jets, Jets. I don't know. Do they? If they, if they do, if the Jets do it, then this will really be like the Rams a couple years ago. This really will be F them picks. Although Dalvin Cook was picked up off of a, you know, out of free agency. They didn't have to trade for him, so props him there. Only a one-year deal. But I, I guess, I mean, listen, Mike Evans and Garrett Wilson, that's, that's a heck of a combo. I'll talk about the Jets later in the show, by the way. But before I do that, and before I get to the Vol View, very first show we're doing that, Let's see. It looks like we got a comment. Uh, Barry says Jets should plunge. I don't. I don't. I don't discount that at all. I think here's the thing, Barry. Jets got to worry about their offensive line before they worry about anything. That's that's my biggest concern. And again, I'll talk about the Jets. You know, later in the show after the Vol View, in terms of this uh, target that they're really putting on their back, despite and I like their offseason moves, obviously, but to putting a target on their back despite the fact they haven't won anything in half a century. Uh, I'll discuss that, but that they got to worry about their own line before they worry about it. receiving core. Even with the retirement of Corey Davis, is still good. It's fine. Garrett Wilson is a true number one. Lazard's okay. Randall Cobb's there more of as as a veteran leader, but he can still play to a certain extent. But uh, yeah, they got to worry about that offensive line. Yeah, got to worry about that offensive line. Uh, let's see. Let's see. So NFC. I'm, I apologize. AFC West. So this is the division that it's incredible how much an outlook, or at least my outlook on a on a on a division, can change from year to year. A year ago, I predicted all four teams. I'm pretty sure I predicted all four teams to go to the playoffs in the AFC West. I said Denver win the division. <laughs> nice pick by me. 
Good pick, Bryson. Denver, followed by Kansas City, followed by the Raiders, followed by the Chargers. I think I had the Chargers make the playoffs. If, if not, I definitely had three of them make the playoffs. Uh, now, I think it's going to be Jeremy Hart pressed to see two. Kansas City's a shoe-in. You know, not going to win the home, stays healthy. Uh, but I decided to do AFC West strengths and weaknesses. So if we can get the background music going, that would be great. Uh, because th th this is this is a funny one. This is a really, because, you know, how do you find the weaknesses of Kansas City? I don't know. So let's launch into the Kansas City Chiefs. What's their biggest strength? The defending Super Bowl champion, what's their biggest strength? Well, they got the best quarterback and head coach in the sport. That, that kind of goes without saying. I think they're strength. They, they got plenty of strengths. Obviously, Chris Jones, we know the contract negotiation situation is kind of all over the place right now with that. But I think it's going to get resolved when it's all said and done. Chris Jones is an outstanding, you know, probably the second best defensive tackle to Aaron Donald still in the NFL. You've got an excellent offensive line. Travis Kelsey's amazing. He's the, one of the greatest Titans in the history of the sport. But ultimately, they had a lot of those pieces, you know, even Andy Reid before Mahomes walked to the building, and they had, I think, two playoff wins, or one playoff win on their resume to show for it. A lot of playoff gags in the past with Alex Smith, and that's not a shot at Alex Smith. It's just to say they didn't have that dude at that position. Now they do, and they're the, the next budding dynasty in the NFL. Mahomes is a two-time MVP, two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP. Andy Reid, I think, is the greatest coach in the NFL today, is one of the 10 greatest head coaches of all time if you look at his success pre-Mahomes. Uh, and listen, I, I don't have a doubt that if, God forbid, you know, he Mahomes were to like retire today or something, he could still have success. I mean, the man's look, made Chad Henney. Look, look, look solid. Okay, like Andy Reid's a genius. Mahomes is the most talented quarterback in the history of the game. Has a chance in the long run to maybe become the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. That's Kansas City, you know, personified. Their weakness, on the other hand, and this is fair, in recent years, the pass rush has been better. It has. I mean, if you look at, they lost Frank Clark this offseason. Again, Chris Jones going to be out until, as he said, at least week eight with some of the contract holdout stuff. They lost some other pass rushers, so... Listen, in a division, Kansas City's going to be leading a lot of games this year. They are. But in an AFC that is stacked with great quarterbacks, that could be a problem. Now, in the playoffs last year, it wasn't a problem. They, they got to the quarterback frequently, especially in that game against Cincinnati, albeit Cincinnati's O-line had plenty of injuries. But that's something that you're going to be leading a lot of games. Your pass rush is going to get a lot of opportunities. Questions, can they capitalize on those? Can, can Kansas City, do they have to win a bunch of shootouts in order to win? Because I actually think their secondary is kind of underrated. Moving on to the Los Angeles Chargers. Their strength is that their quarterback slash, very intentional, weapons are top five in the league. Now, I don't think Justin Herbert's a top five quarterback. I think he can be in the long run. He has an opportunity to be. I've always been a Herbert guy. But one of the most talented quarterbacks in the National Football League. Their offensive line is great. Rashawn Slater coming back at left tackle is huge. He had a massive rookie season. Uh, Austin Eckler, you know, there's some contract situation stuff going on there. But he's still productive. He's still a very good player in this league. One of the better, you know, fantasy guys in the NFL because he can do just about everything. He's a 20 touchdown a year type of guy. That's how productive he is. You got Mike Williams coming back. You got Keenan Allen coming back. You have the kid they drafted, Quentin Johnson, out of TCU, who I loved in college. You got him. Solid tight end. The, I mean, the Chargers are weapons galore. Again, if we're talking combination, this is why I talked about the Vikings. Like, top five quarterback receiver, singular, duo in the NFL. Top, Kirk Cousins is not a top five quarterback, obviously. I'm not even sure he's top ten. But his connection with Justin Jefferson, one of the five best in football. Justin Herbert's connection with all his targets, again, top five in football. Hard to game plan for the weakness, though, for the Chargers, I think, is apparent. And it's changed a little bit from what I have for the Chargers as my weakness going into the playoffs last year. I added a new, a new name. 
the Chargers' weakness, Brandon Staley and Kellen Moore. During the playoffs last year, I did playoff team strengths and weaknesses. And actually, I just did weaknesses. Actually, uh, the weakness for the Charger the, for the Chargers was simply Brandon Staley. And what do you know? They blew a 27 to nothing lead to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Many factors played into that. In some part due to the fact they were playing the third best quarterback in the National Football League, a great coach in Doug Peterson, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that game, you know, in terms of game situation management, yeah, yeah, yeah Brandon Staley was bad. Brandon Staley has ended the last two seasons with, with horrendous coaching decisions or second half performances, and they compound mistake upon mistake by not just firing Brandon Staley, but bringing in to be their offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. He said, Bryson, Bryson. Kellen Moore led the number one offense in the National Football League with the Dallas Cowboys with a quarterback in Dak who isn't as talented as Justin Herbert. True, true, he certainly did. He also completely lacks creativity. A lot of the stuff in Dallas was A, due to great field position, helped by the defense. A lot of that was Dak making plays. A lot of that was the receivers making plays. And the man, I've never seen anything like it, folks, is married to curl routes. Never seen anything like it from an offensive coordinator. The dude, if it's third and 15, he loves those eight-yard curls on the outside. Not, uh, you know, very predictable, not hard to game plan for, and it's going to hurt Justin Herbert, who I've said numerous times, my condolences to Justin Herbert, because he's going to be hamstrung by his offensive coordinator in many ways the way Dak Prescott in so many games the last couple of years was hamstrung by his offensive coordinator. Kellamore loves to put up points. He doesn't necessarily have a great feel for what to do in the big moments in the game. And that's going to hurt Justin Herbert, along with the Chargers, and obviously Brandon Staley. That goes without saying. How he kept his job, and I liked Brandon Staley as a guy, but how he kept his job is 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 lost on me. To the Las Vegas Raiders, their strength, outstanding wide receiver one, great running back, and a very good slot receiver. Obviously, Devontae Adams is still one of the three or four best receivers in football. A lot of turmoil in Vegas, although that's tended to be the case with this organization for a very long time. But still not quite as productive as he was with Aaron Rodgers, obviously. But still a 1,000-yard guy. Still a guy capable of giving you double-digit touchdowns. And still, I think, the best route runner in the National Football League. He is as shifty as they come. And, listen, running back. And I've talked about I defend these organizations for not paying running backs. But Josh Jacobs did lead the league in rushing last year. Still a very productive player. They were able to bring him back from his holdout. And Hunter Renfro is a guy who can give you a 1,000-yard receiving. Had a big-time year two years ago as their slot guy. If I'm not mistaken, I think they he led them in receiving. Still very good out of the slot. And so, listen, the Raiders have a lot of limitations, a lot of issues everywhere. But they got a, they got a clear number, number one wide receiver, a great running back, and maybe the best slot receiver in the NFL uh, when it's all said and done. The weakness for the Raiders, there's plenty, but here's why I zeroed in on. Head coach, Josh McDaniels, is awful situationally. And the defense always stinks. In the Derek Carr era, folks, the defense was never top 20. Matter of fact, I think that actually they, they were top 20 once. And I think it was like they were 19. So they're always a below average defense. The secondary is always bad. Aside from, uh, from uh, uh, one, oh my gosh, uh, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Max Crosby. Sorry, I blanked on the kid's name. Aside from Max Crosby, pass rush is, is suspect at best. A lot of that's because they're... They're playing against teams that are running the ball a lot, trying to eat clock because they're they got a big lead. Um, this is a chart. I'm sorry, Raiders defense that has had struggles in the linebacking core, a lot of injuries. And as far as Josh McDaniels, I think the Raiders blew seven. It was six or seven games last year in which they had a double-digit lead. I can remember a, a number of ones: Kansas City, Jacksonville. Uh, they had one. 
They had one big lead against the, they had a huge lead against the Arizona Cardinals and blew that game. So, situationally, Josh McDaniels has been in over his head going back to his days in Denver as a head coach. Now with the Las Vegas Raiders as their head coach. And uh, that's going to really, that's going to hurt the Raiders with, in what's already kind of a limited roster. And I didn't, I didn't even bring up the fact that their starting quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, Listen, Jimmy G may be, may be good looking. It hasn't it hasn't saved him from getting hurt year after year after year. And finally, to the Denver Broncos in the AFC West, their strength is that their defense is amazing, and no team upgraded more at head coach. This is a Broncos team that had the offense scored in the twenty. I think it was like twenty one points in numerous games last year. I think the Broncos would have won eleven or twelve games. That's how great the defense was. Defense as bad as the offense was kept them in every single game, but only most games. Problem is, Russ wasn't cooking. Nathaniel Hackett was in over his head. They had injuries at wide receiver, and that really doomed the Broncos uh, right out the get-go, starting that Monday night game against Seattle. Uh, that's the Broncos' biggest strength. Uh, but you know, listen, Sean Payton is a quarterback whisperer, and can he fix Russell Wilson? But moving to the to the Broncos' biggest weakness, receiving core is thin, and Russell Wilson is still a question mark. They've already had issues at wide receiver in terms of injury. Tim Patrick went down in practice, the guy I really liked a couple years ago, but he went down second straight year. It was either an ACL or Achilles. Uh, Jerry Judy's dealing with a hamstring issue, I believe. So already some some problems. They've traded Noah Fant in the Russell Wilson deal. So they're thin at wide receiver, at least thinner. Russell Wilson's still a question mark. Can he bounce back? Can Sean Payton get him back to just a semblance of what he was in his days in Seattle? He's had some moments here and there in the preseason, and then some other moments where you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I think we've seen, we've probably seen the best of Russell Wilson. We've probably seen the best of Russell Wilson. So it's 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 been better days in Denver, Colorado. It's unbelievable. Uh, Patrick Brown's in the comments. He was talking about Mike Evans. He says, quote, only way Dallas does the deal is that Tampa Bay would have to pay a good portion of Mike's salary. San Francisco would have the best package long as he doesn't land in Philly. I, I don't know why Philly would go after him just because they've already got a great wide receiving tandem. I mean, I think Devontae Smith is the number one wide receiver. So adding A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith's your two, that's, whew, that's tough to deal with. So I don't think Philly will make, will make the move. Um... Tampa Bay, he said Tampa Bay would have to be a good portion of his con. They may just be, listen, just out of, <laughs> some of it just out of courtesy, just because of the fact Mike Evans has been great for him for a decade, helped him win a Super Bowl with Tom Brady, obviously, in that defense. And so, you know, whether or not that they, they'd be willing to do that. But again, trading for Mike Evans, like I said, would not be a long-term move for Dallas. It'd be a this year. If you really believe this is your best chance to win the Super Bowl, here you go. And the Jets could make that move as well. More on the Jets later in the show. Okay. So, I've been teasing this for, you know, about a week or so on the show. We've got a new segment added to Carving It Up Live. So, those of you out there know, I am a lifelong, diehard Tennessee Volunteers fan. All their sports. I'm not one of those people, yeah, I'm a Tennessee football fan, but I'm like a, a Duke basketball fan and a Vanderbilt baseball fan. That's not what I do. No, I'm, I'm loyal to all Tennessee sports. But as we know, the, the uh, Tennessee's great in just about every sport these days, but the sport where they get the most attention, the most praise, the most criticism is football. Long, great history at that. Great coaches, great players. Uh, Tennessee's up there in terms of uh, some of the best schools in college football in terms of NFL draft picks. They're up there with USC and Alabama. And ladies and gentlemen, as we saw last season, they're back. So, I've decided to introduce a new segment that we will air first half hour of the show, or I shouldn't say first half hour, midway through the show. So, it's 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific time during the Friday shows, during the college football season. 
we will do a segment called The Vol View. And so, the first edition of The Vol View, here we go. Roll the tape. Here we go. The Vol View live right now on Carving It Up. Uh, I, I, for some reason, I, I thought we were supposed to have an audio of John Ward, but for some reason it wasn't able to play, I guess. I don't know if you guys heard the great, the late, great John Ward, the former voice of the Volunteers. So uh, I, I see my man Devin's in the comments. He loves it. Uh, yes, quick wardrobe change. <laughs> Yo, it's, it's got, you know, that video gave me enough time to do it. So on the first edition of the Vol View Points. So. Tennessee's going in this year. A lot of changes from last year in terms of the roster. A lot of big, high-key contributors uh, you know, left in the draft a year ago, most notably Hinton Hooker, who unfortunately ended last season hurt on a torn ACL. And so you consider the fact you've all had all those pieces uh, that you lose Jalen Hyatt, who you know all he did was score five touchdowns against Alabama. I don't think that's ever been done in the history of college football against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Also... You lost, uh, you lost Princeton Fant, your tight end. You lost Cedric Tillman, your number two wide receiver. You lost Byron Young, your best pass rusher. So all that, and you're like, Bryce, are you sure Tennessee's going to be you know, in that mix to potentially be in the college football playoff, dare I say, this year? I'm here to tell you. Just a little secret between the two of us. I think we may have a better chance. Is Joe Milton as efficient at times? To a certain extent, as consistent as Hinton Hooker is. No. Not from what I've seen, at least. But in terms of upside, Lord have mercy. You're going to see it tomorrow. I'm going to predict the Virginia game in just a moment as I predict uh, the rest of Tennessee's schedule in this first uh, edition of the Vol View. If you put, and I'm not kidding when I say this, Joe Milton, and you put him in a throwing contest with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, I would go to Vegas and bet Joe Milton could throw a football further than both Allen and Mahomes. He has a freaking missile of an arm. You also consider the fact that your two running backs from last year, Jabari Small, Jalen Wright, both are returning this year. Both will be big-time contributors last year. You still have, despite losing Hyatt and Tillman, a, a great receiving core. You have the Thornton kid that transferred from Oregon. You have Ramel Keaton. You have Brew McCoy, who made the big catch last year to put Tennessee in field goal range to beat Alabama. Your backup tight end, who's now going to be your starting tight end, Jacob Warren, is highly productive. And defensively, you turn, return almost everybody, including Aaron Beasley. So, and the defense was a concern for Tennessee. That Frankly, the, the defense is always going to be a concern under Josh Heupel. 
because that is something that he has, uh, you know, throughout his time uh, in Tennessee has struggled with his defense because of the fact that, you know, when, when you're a Tennessee Vols team with with a number of, uh, you know, they go high-flying offense, hurry-up offense, very similar to Chip Kelly. Defense is going to be on the field about 40 minutes out of the game. They're going to give up big plays in that spam. But Tennessee, their brand, they have to win a lot of shootouts. That's their thing. They got to win a lot of shootouts. And so whether or not they're able to do that is going to be, a, you know, going to be a question mark for them. But throughout the time that we've seen Josh Heupel back to his first year, last year Tennessee going 11-2 and with an Orange Bowl win against Clemson going into this year. And I did a segment last week on Tennessee, two weeks ago rather on Tennessee, about how they were the 12th ranked team in America despite returning numerous defensive starters, despite replacing great offensive players with arguably greater offensive players. Your head coach is back. The continuity is there. And by the way, you happen to play in a pretty weak division, the SEC East, which will be disbanded next year. So you get to take advantage of some of those teams one last time, at least all in a you know all in a row. So uh, if we have the if we have the background music to go and play this, because I want to get in the predictions uh, for the Tennessee Vols 2022-3 season. Let's see if we got it. All right, so Tennessee season. Here's the graphic. They begin tomorrow against the Virginia Cavaliers. Again, a team, Virginia, that struggled last year, only went 3-7. and seven. Tennessee coming in this game, obviously, is the 12th-ranked team in America. This is a game in Nashville. It was just in Nashville a couple weeks ago. Uh, so, you know, great to see Tennessee coming back to play there. It's going to be a de facto home game, essentially. Might as well be an extension of Neyland Stadium at Nissan Stadium. Listen, Tennessee got better offense, better defense, better coach, the whole bit. Uh, I, I think this is going to be my, obviously, I, at the end of Vol the Vol view, I'll put the final score uh, predictions for every game. In this instance, because I'm predicting, predicting the schedule, I'll go and put up the final score here. Tennessee's a 27 and a half point favorite. I've got them winning this game handily. 52, 17. Those of you doing quick math, that is a five touchdown victory, ladies and gentlemen. Tennessee 52, Virginia 17 to open the 2023 college football season for my balls. We win 27. I'm sorry, we win 52 to 17. To the next game, Austin P. Again, <laughs> from a, a matchup standpoint, it's not even close. They'll beat Austin P. That next game, Florida. Let's put that back up. The next game against Florida. Now, I don't know if you saw last night. I don't know if you saw last night, but uh, Florida doesn't look too good. And I must, I gotta, I gotta say, Florida is up there with the Yankees with the Cavaliers, really all Cleveland sports. And increasingly, as I become a Steelers fan now, the Bengals and the Browns, and even the Ravens, Devin. Come on, there's, one of those, there's some of those teams I just really don't like. And I revel in the fact that the Florida Gators are borderline irrelevant. Firing Dan Mullen just two years ago, one of the better offensive minds in the SEC, and bringing in Billy Napier who led the Gators to a 6-7 and seven record a year ago, and they played Utah last night, the Utah Utes, the defending Pac-12 champions. And a quarterback by the name of Bryson Barnes for Utah, first play of the game, play action, 70-yard bomb for a touchdown. And the Utes cruised to a 24-11 win. The Gators were undisciplined, they looked unathletic, they were poorly coached, and for the first time since 2001, before I was even here, folks, my ball is going to go to Gainesville, and we are going to beat Florida handily and start 3-0. Next game after that, University of Texas, San Antonio. Again, big talent gap. Tennessee will win that one easily. First real test to me comes against South Carolina. Now, South Carolina last year, uh, that was the house of horrors for my balls. 
And I do mean House of Horrors. It was bad. Uh, went to South Carolina, lost their quarterback for the season, and gave up, six, was it 63 points? Fall Nation, 63 points uh, on the road to effectively end our college football playoff hopes. It was a very bad night. My man Grady Edwards is a big South Carolina fan. He called me after the game. It was it was just, I love Grady, but man, but that was that was rough. Uh, still haven't quite recovered. Uh, anytime you like drive, if you go to South Carolina drive by, it's just like, ugh. It's like get the, the shivers from that game. Spencer Rattler. Uh, you got Coach Beamer over there, the son of the great Virginia Tech coach, Frank Beamer. This is going to be a dogfight. I think South Carolina is going to be a real player to challenge Tennessee for that second place in the SEC East because I do think Georgia is going to win that division. They're just simply more talented than Tennessee and, frankly, everybody else in the SEC with the possible exception of LSU. But South Carolina's got an excellent quarterback, great weapons, very good defense. I mean, they, they finished their year, folks. South Carolina beat Tennessee, Clemson, and Notre Dame to end their season. The South Carolina Gamecocks. That was how they finished their last three games uh, of the year. So that's <laughs> that was a uh, that's a loaded roster by South Carolina standards. I'm sorry, Notre Dame beat South Carolina. I apologize, but they played Notre Dame down the wire. They played Notre Dame down the wire, but they played themselves in the top 25. They come back this year with a lot of momentum, and I think that's gonna be a tough one for Tennessee. I don't know what the line on that game is right now. I don't think Tennessee will cover because they'll be favored, but I've got them winning by a walk-off field goal. The next game Tennessee plays, home against Texas A&M, I believe coming off of a bye. Tennessee against uh, the Texas A&M Aggies is coming off a bye, yes. Uh, again, Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies coming off of a very disappointing season last year where they had college football playoff hopes and had some some bad, bad home losses, some upset losses, some pretty horrible football teams. My bad, actually, the Texas A&M went 5-7. and seven. They were a bad football team last year. They'll come in better, more motivated. They actually beat Tennessee and Nealon a few years ago. We'll take care of business. We'll, our defense will, I think, have a surprisingly good performance. Joe Milton will get the job done. Throw a, 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 a dagger touchdown to Ramel Keaton to, 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 to break the game open. And Tennessee beats Texas A&M uh, to move to 6-0. and Then the, 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 the first big one. I mean, big one. Big test. In Tuscaloosa against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Where Bama, I've already checked, is a double-digit favorite in that game. This despite the fact that they lost Bryce Young, their Heisman Trophy winner from a couple years back. And in his place is, is it Jaden Milrow? I know Milrow's his last name. Jaden Milrow's his name. Starting for Alabama tomorrow. And assuming, assuming, you know, the, the, the length of the season. If you saw Mr. Milrow against Texas A&M, but again, a bad Texas A&M team hosted Alabama and were a couple yards away from beating him. Go back and watch. Literally a couple yards from beating Alabama in that football game with no Bryce Young. And I'm supposed to believe, oh, Bama's going to be coming back. We're downing Bama, and that's when Nick Saban flourishes. Sure it is. The problem is uh, that team in Baton Rouge, LSU, Brian Kelly, thank God we don't have them on their schedule because I think they beat us. I think LSU's better than Tennessee. You don't have to worry about that guy. They have to worry about a number of teams in the SEC West. Tennessee's going to go on the road to Tuscaloosa, just like we just like we did in Neyland Stadium, winning a walk-off field goal against the Alabama Crimson Tide. And there will be smells of cigars smoking Tuscaloosa. Just not coming from the Alabama faithful. Sorry, Crimson Tide fans, but nah, screw it. I'm not sorry. Moving on to next matchup. Tennessee on the road, Kentucky. I actually got a bet riding in this one with my grid teammate, Dalton Brown, who bets... That, uh, because we've guessed the line, we've set our own line for this game. Tennessee minus five. 
and he really likes their young quarterback they have there, and we certainly know that uh, that Stoops, the head coach in Kentucky, has done a fantastic job given the talent that he's had there. Made Will Levis look somewhat competent, in which I think he's going to fold in the NFL. That's neither here nor there. Looks like he's got a good defense, some good weapons, very talented young quarterback. This game is in Lexington, after all. Last time Tennessee played Kentucky in Lexington, it was a shootout down to the wire that Tennessee won by the skin of their teeth. But I got Joe Milton. I got Keaton. I've got Thornton. I've got some big playmakers. Brew McCoy. Kentucky ain't got that. And, by the way, I have Josh Heupel. With all due respects to respect to uh, to Mark, Stoop, Mark Stoops, he's no Josh Heupel. Tennessee, if you're listening, Dalton, will go on the road to Lexington, beat Kentucky, cover the five-point spread that we've already set for them, and get their record to 8-0. Homecoming game against UConn. UConn historically has some of the worst defenses in college football. They'll beat them handily. At Missouri, I think, is a little bit of a tricky one. Because you're like, oh, Missouri. Think about this. I was in the game. I was actually at the Missouri game last year in Elon Stadium. And Tennessee won 66 to 24. They were up 59-24 until Josh. And they could have taken a knee, by the way, until Josh Heibel said, you know what, Joe Milton? Go and take a shot down the field, down the left sideline. In which he did. Tennessee scored shortly after to get the score above 60. Kind of rubbing it in a little bit. Can't assume Missouri liked that all that much. So you have that motivation from Missouri. Not to mention the fact Tennessee's got Georgia the week after. Is this a game where they're like, ah, we beat Missouri by, was it, four? Not four, I'm sorry, six touchdowns? Ah, we got them. Let's worry about Georgia. It's the best team in the country. Georgia will come into that game 10-0 undefeated because they look past Missouri. I think to a certain extent they could. I'll give Tennessee the win but close against the Missouri Tigers. Finally, I'm sorry, yeah, finally, these last two games finishing with a two-game homestand. The big one against the best team in America, I believe the Georgia Bulldogs, who I think have a fantastic chance to complete the three-peats to win three straight college football national titles. They have a good young quarterback, certainly. Certainly more talented than Stetson Bennett. They have become defensive line you in recent years. You look at some of their defensive linemen drafted in the first round, Jordan Davis, uh, uh, most uh, Jalen Carter, by the way, some of their better interior defensive linemen. Georgia's great in the secondary. Uh, uh, they're great in the defensive line. And they've always been a great uh, you know, football program when it comes to linebackers. Their offense is just as good as it's ever been. Brock Bowers is one of the best tight ends in college football. He'll be a top five pick next year, I believe. He's that talented. Folks, they run into rounds with a tight end. That's how good he is. So that's going to be a lot for Tennessee. I don't think they're able to overcome it. Tennessee suffers their first loss of the year against the Georgia Bulldogs, I believe. Got to be objective at some point, right? And then they host Vanderbilt, and they beat Vanderbilt handily as they have uh, really throughout the history of Tennessee football. So that's what I got. Tennessee goes 11-1. They do not win the SEC East. Therefore, they do not win the SEC. But they make the college football playoff as the three seed given their impressive resume. And I think they lose to the Michigan Wolverines in the semifinal. That's my prediction for Tennessee's season. I think we improve off last year. Win 11 games, get to the playoff, and lose to number two Michigan, who I think is going to face Georgia in the national title game. There you go. So, of all of you, we got a comment here. Yeah, Barry likes it. He's, 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 got, the, he's got the fire emojis. He likes it. So, this can be something we're doing every Friday at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific time, right in the middle of our Friday shows and carving it up. Obviously, next week, NFL season starts, so I'll be doing a bunch of you know NFL predictions that week. And so, you know, the Tennessee's segment's going to come before that. But that's what we're going to be doing. Moving forward, the Volview, signing off.
Until next week, again, let's put up the final score. Tennessee will be beat Virginia 52-17. to And so, from the Vol View, this is Bryson Carver signing off. Let's get back to more sports after this. Still don't know why the voice of John Moore didn't play in that video. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused on that. We'll get that played. Uh, we'll get that fixed before next week. Let's move back to sports. Let's move back to the NFL. And let's move to the New York Jets. So, <laughs> I, I have been on a roller coaster with the Jets this offseason. So, when they initially made the Aaron Rodgers move, I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is... And older Aaron Rodgers, I, sh I showed ad nauseum his numbers for a previous season. It was easily the worst season of his career, uh, career low in in all kinds of categories from every made you know we're talking about completion percentage and and yards and touchdowns. I think he he did not have a 300 yard passing game last year. Hasn't had a 300 yard passing game since Week 14 of 2021. So that was uh, that that that's been a problem for for Aaron Rodgers uh, last certainly dating back to last year and even the year before that his last MVP season. So I was skeptical. And then we get to about midway through the offseason. It's so like OTAs and minicamps and all that stuff. And I saw a different Aaron. I saw an optimistic Aaron. I saw an Aaron that was com committed to, to helping his teammates get better, practicing with them, and, and working with the coaches. Talking about how much he loves it with the Jets. He's embracing the city. He's going to Taylor Swift concerts. Who isn't these days? He's going to the Tony Awards. He's going to Madison Square Garden, and he might have went to Yankee Stadium, if I'm not mistaken. He's embraced New York. He's embraced the Jets. I'm like, oh, man, he never embraced Green Bay like this. In some part, and this isn't a shot at the people of Green Bay, who were very mean to me on social media yesterday. It was, it was very it was unbecoming of you, Green Bay. But there's more options in New York <laughs> than there is in Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's In Green Bay, Wisconsin, you got cheese and you got the Packers. That's about it. New York, they give you everything. There's a reason Sinatra said if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And Aaron has embraced that. So I'm like, oh, okay. I might be embracing the Jets a little bit more. And I still don't believe that they are a Super Bowl team. I, I, I've said that throughout. I don't think that they are a, a true blue contender the way that the Kansas City Chiefs are, the way that the, the Cincinnati Bengals are. I believe the Jags are contenders. Uh, as much as I hate to say this, I think the Ravens are contenders. I don't think the, G, the Jets are in that, you know, that category. But Aaron Rodgers was talking about this whole Jet Life Stadium. Because where the Jets and the Giants play, they share the same stadium, obviously, in New Jersey, in the Meadowlands, called MetLife Stadium, and Aaron Rodgers has called it Jet Life Stadium. And players and coaches for the Jets talking about, we're going to run this division, the AFC East. Well, easier said than done because the Jets, you know, forget winning the division, haven't made the playoffs in 12, 13 years. 
I guess this one, I guess it technically counts as 13 because the last season ended in 2023. So 13 years, or I'm sorry, 12 years. 12 years for the New York Jets. Is it a, is it unfair to say that they're getting a little too big for their britches given the fact that, albeit the hype, albeit the roster, they haven't done anything yet. Aaron Rodgers never thrown a pass that means anything in a Jets uniform, and Dalvin Cook hasn't played with the Jets yet, and offensive line is still a concern, and some would argue they're not even the best team in their own division. I'm not saying they're not going to win the division. I'll do my predictions on Monday's show with Ryan Flowers, but I think Miami is the most talented play, uh, team in that division. Now, whether Tua can get it done to me is the question. But I'm seeing this, and it's reminding me a lot, reminding me a lot of the Memphis Grizzlies in the NBA. Memphis Grizzlies, oh, they talk a big game, don't they? John Moran and Desmond Bain and formerly the guy, we won't mention his name, who got $80 million from the Houston Rockets and played like garbage, by the way, for, for Team Canada. That's neither here nor there. We don't have to talk, talk about him. Uh, Jaron Jackson talks a big game, and the fans talk a, a big game. And, and the Memphis Grizzlies and the John Moran era have won one playoff series. Yeah, they got in the two seed back-to-back -back years, but that's what's that amounted to? What's that amounted to? You know, they got knocked out by the team with championship pedigree in 2022, the Golden State Warriors, and knocked out by the team with additional, I shouldn't say additional, with championship pedigree themselves, the Los Angeles Lakers, led by the greatest basketball player ever. It's reminding me a little bit of that way with the Jets. Sure, they added Aaron Rodgers. And I think they are certainly in the, obviously they're in the discussion for a playoff spot. I'm leaning towards giving them a playoff spot. But do we know Aaron Rodgers' playoff history? It ain't great. Two games under 500 has had some real stinkers since the Jets, since he won his last Super Bowl with the Packers. Robert Sala, I really like him. I loved when the Jets hired him a couple years ago. But is he the guy? Is he, you know, is he the type of dude that can coach a team to the Super Bowl? That can in in tight game? Because listen, there's the thing with Robert Sala now. With everybody on the Jets, there's expectations now. They expect you to win. As if the pressure from the media and the fans wasn't enough. Now you're putting pressure on yourself with other teams. The whole beef, you know, with, uh, with 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 Sean Payton, the Jets sort of involving themselves with that. I understand Sean Payton came at them first. You understand when somebody comes at you, you got to fight back. I get that. But they've sort of continued it amongst social media and et cetera, and otherwise. And Joe Douglas, I saw Joe Douglas say, GM of the Jets. He was doing a press conference, and he said, we are focused today on... On, uh, you know, we're focused on winning a Super Bowl, but right now we're just looking at week one with the Bills. It's like, well, that, it's kind of talking out both sides of your mouth. Like, you're focused on the Super Bowl. And then you got to realize, we, we look at Super Bowl like, oh, Super Bowl. For a Jets general manager to say those words, Super Bowl in sequence, is a pretty big deal, especially if you're talking about a single year. But then you say, yeah, it's all about Buffalo in week one on Monday Night Football. Okay. I have said, regardless of the Jets make the playoffs or not, I've been consistent on this. I think they're going to struggle a lot in the opening part of their schedule. You look at the first part of the Jets' schedule. I just mentioned Buffalo. They, they play Buffalo. That is a home game against the Bills. The Jets, I'm sorry, the Bills, obviously the more experienced team. I don't believe in Buffalo this year. Not even sure if I had them as a playoff team, but there's continuity there. Josh Allen looking to bounce back. And they, again, they, they know themselves better than the Jets know themselves. They go to Dallas. Now, Dallas is more talented, but Aaron owns the Cowboys is it the Packers own the Cowboys? Aaron owns the Cowboys. I guess we'll get the answer to that question in week two. They host the Patriots. I know there's that whole thing about, oh, the Patriots have beaten them 14 straight times. Well, yeah, the Jets, 
virtually didn't have a quarterback in that span, and Tom Brady uh, is no longer walking through that door in New England. So I think the Jets will win that game. They host Kansas City. Ugh, don't love that. At Denver, with the whole beef with Sean, Sean Payton, Broncos are the team that has home field advantage in that regard. They play the Eagles, a team that is more talented than them, albeit at home. They play the Giants in what's like technically a neutral site game. The Giants, while not more talented than the Jets, have a more proven head coach, have a better running game, a better offensive line, and while the defense isn't as good as the Jets, it's no, it's no slouch. And you got the Chargers, and we have a talent that's there. Now, after that, I don't. it's not exactly murderer's row. Got the Raiders. Bills again, but there's more familiarity. You'll, you'll, know, you'll know yourself better by the Buffalo game. A Black Friday game against Miami in cold weather, so that should favor the Jets. Then Atlanta, and then Houston, and then a road game against Miami. That's tough. And the Commanders, and the Browns, and the Patriots. The last part of the Jets, if the Jets get in the playoffs, they'll go to the playoffs on fire. But expect them this first part of the season. If they're 2-4, and four, which is about where I think they'll, they'll be, I won't be shocked. Now, will people be writing off the Jets? Probably. But you can't ignore the fact that their schedule will be kind of a cupcake at the end of the season. But all that said, the fact that they are... It's, it'd be one thing. If Kansas City... Heck, if Philadelphia... I mean, Philadelphia did win the Super Bowl five years ago. They did just make another Super Bowl with, aside from Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey and a couple other guys, Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, an almost entirely new cast of characters and even a new coach. If you want to think, if they were talking coming into the season saying, okay, it's Super Bowl or bust. We're focused on the Super Bowl. We're focused on beating this team and this team and, and giving their stadium a nickname, which they kind of have, the link. Point is, that's one thing. You haven't done, you haven't accomplished anything. Now, if the Jets were to go on a run, if they were to win the Super Bowl, then they have every, them and their fan base, by the way, have every right in the world to come at people like me and say, you doubted us. You said we couldn't, not necessarily talk your way to a title because you can't do that, but we couldn't back up what we were saying, and we did. At that point, hey, you got me. But I've never, the, the second show I've ever done, what day was that? That would have been October 25th of 2019. Because my first show was October 21st of that year. I, was, I remember Jarvis Landry. Remember Jarvis Landry? Was with the Cleveland Browns at the time and guaranteed the Browns would go to Foxborough and beat the undefeated at the time uh, New England Patriots. And they got clobbered. I said, uh, you call your shot. It's Especially when you are... You have a history of losing. You're a poorly run organization historically and you're playing a great organization, a great quarterback usually comes back to bite you. So that's what I worry about with the Jets this season. I think it's a legitimate thing. Uh, Barry's in the comments, former Jets fan, by the way, says, I get your concern, but here is what I see. The Jets haven't had an identity for quite some time. The last time they did, uh, they, they had that was with Rex. Let them be the bad boys of New York. It's a good chip to have. But isn't the chip there already? There was already a chip. Sean Payton gave you another one. Is that not enough? Again, you're putting yourselves in a position. Yeah, they talk about when you are you know, the up-and-coming team, you think you can win a championship, but you haven't done it yet, and you're the hunters, but once you won it, you're the hunted. I've heard a lot of Golden State Warriors players talk about that. Like, it's different defending a title than when you're kind of the underdog, and the Warriors have won two championships kind of as the underdog. You're making yourself <laughs> the hunted without accomplishing anything, without a set culture. Get the culture set. Now, I know Aaron's going to be here for just a couple of years in all likelihood, but get whatever culture you have. Get that set. 
have some success, then do the talking. Then it's different. I mean, listen, I've criticized the Bengals for you know calling the Arrowhead Stadium, calling it Burrowhead, and and taking shots at Mahomes. And people talking about, uh, you know, Jamar Chase was asked about Patrick Mahomes, and he said, who? Like, I've criticized him for that stuff. I'm like, guys, he, that's already a dogfight. Don't give more bolts and more material to, to the Chiefs. You don't give bolts and more material to a dynasty. I've learned that as a Warriors fan. The Jets haven't accomplished what Cincinnati's accomplished. That's my, that's, that's where I'm sort of confused at. So, bad boys in New York, sure, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there. Are they... Are they good enough to back up a title such as that? Maybe, but we got to see it first. We've never seen this cast of talent work together. It's like if you got a TV show, it's been running for a couple, you know, two, three seasons. It's been good. Ratings are getting a little higher, and then you completely remake the cast in many ways. It's like okay, you got this star and this star and this Emmy winner might work. But can the director manage the personalities? Does it work? Does does the script fit what they do best? That's kind of how I feel about the Jets. Again, I, I think they're absolutely a. I'm leaning towards them being a playoff team. Don't you know misconstrue that. But Super Bowl team, eh. I've heard people people compare it to the Rams. Eh, McVay was a proven head coach and had gone to a Super Bowl. Aaron, they had the best defensive player in all football, no questions about it. Aaron Donald, they had uh, they had, as good as Garrett Wilson is, not Cooper Cup now. Now, in fairness, Stafford brought out the Cooper Cup we knew and when we know and love. Can Aaron do that for Garrett Wilson? Absolutely possible. Uh, but the Rams had a culture; they had a history of winning, at least with McVay. Jets don't yet. Now, in fairness to Solid, isn't like he was blessed with a lot of great quarterbacks. So there's that component as well. Okay, still fired up from the Vol View. I still don't know why. If you guys heard the voice of John Ward. And that's great. I'll check the show after I'm done. But for some reason, uh, a guy who I, I wasn't around to, to hear him call games on the radio, unfortunately, he retired in 1999 calling Tennessee football and, and men's basketball games. But if you've, if you've never, if you're not a Tennessee fan and you've never heard like highlights and John Ward calling them, please do. Like, like or go on YouTube or something and go listen to his. I mean, he was, he was awesome. He was awesome. I actually attended a game. In 2017, it was the last game of the season. Tennessee, this was the only year in Tennessee's football history. We've come a long way, Vol fans, where they finished the year without winning a single conference game. First year and the only year, hopefully, in their history that they've done that. But that last game, they honored John Ward. Uh, it, it had been almost two decades since he retired, and John Ward was at the game. He, he, you know, he, he walked through the, the tunnel, and the, the fans, again, it's not like we'd had a, a ton to cheer for. That was as loud as I heard the crowd all season. They just showered him with love. He was, you know, really emotional. It turned in, you know, as it turned out, he he passed away about nine months later, uh, something like that. So, you know, he's an all-time legend in the history of Tennessee sports. Uh, really, the voice of the Vols, the all-time voice of the Vols. So, if you've never heard John Ward highlights, please Google them. Like, do it for your sake. Uh, he's got so many great catchphrases. Give them six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, what else we got? Obviously, it's football time in Tennessee. Yeah, there's some there's some good ones. All right, away from my nostalgia. It, first of all, I need to I, I'm gonna have to get these these graphics on here because we've done all at least seven of the eight uh, divisions in the NFL in terms of strengths and in terms of weaknesses uh, and, and what these teams bring to the table in that regard. So 
Just did the AFC West today, and because my NFL predictions are coming on Monday, I thought I might as well go ahead and knock out the NFC West as well. And so, if we can get these uh, graphics on here uh, real quick, because you know the streaming service only gives you so much space to put so many files, so you got to you know delete some. So, let's see here. Get them in here. There's six, and there is a okay. So, uh, NFC West strengths and weaknesses. Uh, th there's there's obviously a great team in the NFC West, a very good to potentially great team in the NFC West, an average eh, team, and then just uh, straight garbage. So if we can get the background music playing right now, we can do that uh, to do the strengths and weaknesses. All right, let's start with the San Francisco 49ers. What's the 49ers' biggest strength? We'll put it up right now. Offense and defense are fully capable of being the best in the sport. They're that talented. Defense is probably the best in football uh, right now. They're up there. It's either them or my Steelers and potentially Dallas as the best defense in the National Football League. You got They're good in every, and we'll talk about their offense too, but they're good in every every position. Defense with, we assume Nick Bosa coming back. It's not like that holdout's going to be coming to an end pretty soon. You got Nick Bosa. You got Eric Armstead. You got John Kinlaw uh, on the interior. Linebacking core, Fred Warner, best linebacker in football. Dre Greenlaw, one of the better linebackers in football. Secondary, Talanoa Hufunga. You guys know I really like him. I saw him. He really popped last year in San Francisco. Love the way he plays. He's a pro bowler, uh, all pro caliber guy. So they're, they're good in the secondary as well. Certainly the back end of their secondary. Offensively, great running back Christian McCaffrey. Two great wide receivers in Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. By the way, a good number three receiver in Juwan Jennings. A great tight end to me. Not a better player than, than uh, Travis Kelsey. No doubt about that. But the better overall tight end, if you include blocking, George Kittle. Offensive line, amazing. Trent Williams gave up two pressures last year. I mean, two pressures. That's how good he is still at this stage of his career. Niners offensive line is still amazing. And Brock Purdy, we can, we can laugh at that name and say, oh, he's Mr. Irrelevant. And yeah, he's, he's coming off a, a shoulder, uh, sorry, a, a, an arm injury, torn UCL. That's, that's a legitimate concern with him, and can he come back and be what he was last year? We'll see. But man, every game he started and finished, he won. Not to mention the fact that it's not like a situation where it's like, oh, well, Jimmy Garoppolo won too. Why didn't you give him his love? Well, because Brock Purdy in that span led the NFL in passer rating. Better than Mahomes and Burrow and Allen and Lawrence and Lamar and Hurts, all those guys led the NFL in passer rating. That's how great he is. So I don't think he's a top 10 level guy, but if you get the same production this year that you got last year out of Brock Purdy, that offense can be the best in the NFL. The defense might already be the best in the NFL. It's incredible. That said, San Francisco's weakness kind of goes back to the quarterback. Health at the quarterback position has been their Achilles heel. It's been a huge issue for them. So Jimmy G's first year in San Francisco towards ACL. Second year, stay healthy. They got to the Super Bowl. Third year with Jimmy G. Suffers numerous injuries. They have an influx of quarterbacks. They have Nick Mullins. I think C.J. Beathard started for him a little bit. Niners didn't make the playoffs. 2021, you have uh, Jimmy Garoppolo in the lineup. There's a trait. He suffers some injuries. Trey Lance is in and out. Jimmy G comes back at the end, but he has a thumb injury. Doesn't look good in the playoffs, and the Niners lose to the Rams. Last year, you start with Trey Lance. He broke his leg. You go to Jimmy Garoppolo. He suffered, uh, I think it was an ankle injury. Then you go to Brock Purdy, who plays great. And then he injures his arm in the NFC Championship game. Then you go to Josh Johnson in that game, and he gets concussed. So you had Christian McCaffrey taking snaps back there. 
So it, that has been an issue for the 49ers for a while now. I think some of it might have to do with, I don't want to take shots at the medical staff. Uh, I don't think they're as bad as like the LA Angels, for example, but... Man, they have, for whatever reason, quarterbacks have really struggled to stay healthy uh, in, in that system. So if Purdy goes down, listen, I know a lot of people are, are loving Sam Darnold. I was a big Sam Darnold guy when he came out of college. He's fine. He can be as good as Jimmy G, potentially. And historically for the Niners, that's good enough to get him to the Super Bowl. But he can't go toe-to-toe with whoever comes out the AFC. Because whoever comes out the AFC is probably going to have a great quarterback. San Francisco will not, and that will hurt the Niners in the long run. That said... Man, that's a good team. To the Seattle Seahawks, their biggest strengths or strength, big time contributors from last year are better and more experienced. So that was that was something for Seattle that blew my mind. They absolutely knocked their draft uh, their draft class. Uh, they, they knocked it out of the park. So they were able to bring in a number of guys. You had Tariq Woolen making the Pro Bowl. And tying the, uh, the, the league uh, lead in interceptions with six. Kenneth Walker, who I loved out of college, ran for over 1,000 yards. You had Abraham Lucas, Charles Cross holding it down at left tackle. This is a Seahawks team with a y- lot of young players and only getting better. Pete Carroll's still there. Listen, he might be the oldest coach in the league. It's either him or Belichick. He's the oldest or second oldest coach in the league. He might as well be the youngest coach, okay? Because he's out there slinging the football. Listen, Geno Smith, God forbid, goes down. Don't start. Don't start Drew Locke. Go and start. Go and start Pete Carroll, quarterback. Okay, he can. He can throw it all over the yard. He still looks great. 73, 74, whatever he is, he looks great. Um, but also, again, for Seattle, they, we know they're big time contributors. Geno Smith was big last year, comeback player of the year. You had Tyler Lockie, you had DK Metcalf. He has some good players in defense. By the way, Bobby Wagner coming back from the Los Angeles Rams. He returns, still an all pro level linebacker. You have. Uh, Jack, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who he drafted out of Ohio State, potentially the best receiver in this year's draft. And again, last year's contributors, particularly on the defensive side of the ball and on the offensive line, who were huge for the Seahawks last year and helping get them, them get to the playoffs this year. Don't be shocked if Seattle's better than they were a year ago, albeit with greater expectations and a tougher schedule. The Seahawks' weakness, on the other hand, the offense starts with the run game, and they're all beat up. They've suffered numerous injuries, including two, Kenneth Walker himself. Uh, throughout training camp, a number of guys have went down. So, if listen, if Seattle's season comes down to Geno Smith going throw for throw with some of these other quarterbacks, albeit the NFC is loaded with great quarterbacks, but they still have Dak. They still have Hurts. They still have Goff. Cousins is good. Not great in the playoffs, but he's good. Brock Purdy's good. So, if you're going to have to get into a shootout with those guys, I worry with Seattle. Even go back to their days with Russell Wilson. When Russell was at his peak, they still relied on that run game. Now, as I've said, if you're completely reliant on the run game, there's a hard ceiling on how far you can go in terms of competing for a championship. I don't know if Seattle's quite to that stage yet of trying to get back to winning Super Bowls, at least from a talent perspective. Uh, but if they want a chance in doing that, the running back's got to be healthy, and right now they're not. That's been a problem for them. Moving on to the a team that won the Super Bowl 18 months ago, now, we all pretty much assume they're not any good. The Los Angeles Rams, their strength is that despite a limited roster, they'll have the better coach in most games. I look at the Rams schedule. The only, you know, clear and obvious games where I think they have they have, they have, excuse me, they have the inferior coach is the 49ers twice against Kyle Shanahan and the, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers with Mike Tomlin. That's the only games I see. John Harbaugh, you could certainly make a case. Pete Carroll, Bashan McVay has been a very successful coach in the NFL, regardless of quarterback. I mean, last year, Baker Mayfield comes in off of waivers, barely knows the Rams' playbook. 
and the Rams win that Thursday night game. That's how good of coach Sean McVay is. He's been very successful uh, in Los Angeles. And so, listen, that's about to get into the weakness for the Rams. But if nothing else, they'll have the better coach, and that'll give an opportunity to win some games. Coaching is more important in the NFL, in my view, than any other sport. It's that crucial. To the Rams' biggest weakness, though, F them picks, won a Super Bowl, but it has led to a very thin roster. Aside from Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, who, by the way, McVay announced has suffered a setback in his injury. Aaron Donald, and also Van Jefferson as well, who helped them win the Super Bowl a few years ago. A couple years ago. Name two more players in the Los Angeles Rams. Unless you're a Rams fan, like my man Dalton. Don't think you can. Full transparency? Neither can I. <laughs> okay, it's a very deep, ro- or, sorry, very thin roster. Gave up a lot of the picks to go get Jalen Ramsey and Von Miller. Uh, they went out and got, gave up a lot of picks to go get Stafford. It got him a Super Bowl, and that's all that matters. We understand that. That's less Snead and Sean McVay can say, yeah, criticize us now, but you weren't criticizing us when we were hoisting the darn thing. True. But it will hurt them, you know, in the, in the immediate. That's going to hurt the Rams uh, in the immediate uh, you know, aftermath of winning the Super Bowl. It's going to take them a minute. I think next year is the first time they have a first-round pick. It's going to take them a minute to get back on their feet. Um, that, so that's their biggest weakness. And last, but definitely least, the Arizona Cardinals, folks. We're going to try We're going to cut off the music. They don't deserve the music. We're going to try and make this as, as short as humanly possible. The Arizona Cardinals' biggest strength is... Wait, they have a strength? They do? Probably the worst quarterback room in the NFL, and that's not a shot at my man Josh Dobbs. Love Dobbs, but it's a terrible quarterback room. Wide receiving core is awful. Tight end's no good. Running game's bad. Offensive line's bad. Defense is bad. Special teams ain't great. It's fine, but it ain't great. Jonathan Gannon, we saw him. Uh, might as well have been an office skit talking to the team. What did what, what he say? You know, how, many, how many drove here? How many took the bus? Okay, I, we, we, you, do you, if you have a burning in your gut, it's like, what? <laughs> where, where are they good? So the, 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 the art of the Cardinals' strength, they ain't got one. And their biggest weakness is literally everything. I already detailed it. Okay, Buda Baker's amazing. Like, I love Buda, ba- Buda Baker as a safety. Outside of that, man, they lost one of the last few strikes to their team when they traded DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I think this team has an opportunity. Not necessarily going to pick this. I think the Cardinals have an opportunity to not win a single game this year. They're that bad. And frankly, for the Cardinals, listen, they've historically been a very poorly run organization. The good news for them is this. They've got their pick, which will likely, in my view, be first overall next year to go get Caleb Williams, their quarterback, with the great quarterback talents we've seen. They have Houston's pick. Houston's first-round pick. We don't think, I think Houston could be a little bit better than we think. Not a playoff team, but they'll be fine. They'll be competitive in some games. But they'll look at Houston. They, or they got the Houston's pick from when they made the Will Anderson trade. So that could be a top-ten pick. And they've got a, an excellent asset in Kyler Murray. Somebody, If somebody's going to trade for Trey Lance, which I believe they will, somebody's definitely going to make a move for Kyler Murray. A guy that I've been very critical of in terms of leadership and etc. But the kid's incredibly talented. At his peak as a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, they've got that as well. So they've got some stuff to build off of. Uh, I don't think Jonathan Gannon is exactly be coaching the Cardinals to any Super Bowls anytime in the future. Uh, you know, freezing cold takes, Cardinals fans, if, if the Cardinals win the Super Bowl four years from now, feel free to, to play that soundbite, but I don't think you're going to need to use it because I think I'm right on this. I don't see a strength with the Cardinals. I literally don't. 
They're weak just about everywhere except for Buda Baker. It is what it is. That, that, that's where they're at. All right. A lot of strengths, a lot of weaknesses. Covered eight teams today. That was fun. So, that is all but so actually before I even get to the, the outro of the show. So, a couple things with carving it up. So, again, the Vol View every Friday at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific time right here in Carving It Up on Friday's shows throughout the college football season. Going to be talking about my Vols, predicting that week's game, giving any updates as, if there is any. So, Tennessee fans, if, you're in, if, you're, if you need a good Vols segment here on Carving It Up, I got you. I, I'm looking out for you, okay? This is what, this is what your buddy Bryson's here to do. Speaking of Bryson, once again, shout out to Bryson Barnes and the Utah Utes for dismantling the Florida Gators last night. It was beautiful to watch. Beautiful to watch. I think Florida's demise is going to be beautiful to watch as well, at least under Billy Napier. So, also, uh, again, a couple more announcements before we get out of here. So, 8 o'clock spot Tuesday. We've already got a great cast, folks. You wait till you see this. Tuesday at 8 Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time, right here on the Grid Network's YouTube channel and Twitter page as well. We had a great 8 o'clock spot on Tuesday. I'm the host, by the way. Host and moderator and guy to keep score. It's very, very fun. The best sports game show in all of sports content creation. Definitely check it out. Tuesday nights, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific time. You will not regret it. And if you haven't seen it already, get off my get off my show right now. Get off my show right now and go watch 8 o'clock spot. At least the first five minutes of it. Give it a, give us a shot. And uh, honestly, I think if you watch the fi first five minutes, you'll watch the remaining 35 or whatever. We have that much fun, and you'll have fun too as well. And be sure to chime in the comments too when we do 8 o'clock spot live, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific time on Tuesday nights. And finally, Carving Up Live will not be live on Monday. But the show will still air 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific time. YouTube, Twitter, you know where to find us. Ryan Flowers, Clutch Sports Talk, you know him. He's a very busy man these days. He's a coach now. Shout out to my man, Ryan. He's going to be joining me for the, for the third straight year. It's so exciting to say these words. For my 2023 NFL kickoff show. Very excited. So I have all my predictions. Division winners and records. Award winners and ultimately who I got winning the Super Bowl. And it is going to be very difficult to top how awful my Super Bowl pick was last year with the Denver Broncos and the Los Angeles Rams. It's the worst prediction I've ever made in the history of carving it up, and I'm not sure it'll ever be topped in any genre, in any sport ever. Certainly, I hope that's not the case. My Super Bowl prediction, I think it's going to shock you guys. I, I, I like it. I'm confident in it. And I think it's going to take you guys off guard. I think it's going to take you guys off guard. All right, that's all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. Uh, as always, be sure to catch Carving Up Live, as I just said, on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel, our 2023 NFL Live kickoff show. All the predictions, all the, you know, who's winning playoff games, who's making the playoffs, who's not making it, award winners, MVPs, coaches of the years, coach of the years, all that. All of that on Monday at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific time with my man Ryan Flowers of Clutch Sports Talk. Very, very excited to get him back on the show. He's always always have a good time with Ryan anytime he has time to stop by carving it up. And also be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to go subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network, right here uh, on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. You can find us on The Grid Network. Great, great stuff. Great content creators, great guys over there, over here, rather. 
Very, very fun. 8 o'clock Spawn on Tuesdays. Check it out. Carving it up. NFL live kickoff show Monday, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific. Don't miss it. You'll regret it. Okay. See y'all on Monday, even though it won't be me live. Catch y'all on Monday. Obviously, be doing shows all throughout the NFL season. I'll predict, be predicting the week one's game on Wednesday. Very excited. Lions Chiefs. So here we go. This is the last sign off of carving up sign off of carving it up live on a Friday without NFL predictions until January or February rather. Cannot wait. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hope everybody continues to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And as always, please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. We've got to put an end to this, folks. Got to do it. Got to do it for the safety of our kids, safety of everybody. Have a great weekend, y'all. College football's sort of unofficial start to the season. Tennessee 52, Virginia 17. I feel like that's going to age very, very well. I'll see y'all on Monday, Carving It Up NFL Preview Show 2023 with Ryan Flowers. Going to have a good time. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, everybody. God bless you all. Peace out. Evolve you. I like the sound of that. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.